Hey, Unanimous, Mr. Brandon here from the podcast. Did you hear that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the 2020 election? Mr. Jeff and I are so excited, and we want to thank you all for voting and taking the time and letting us know through the Peacock hotline and the emails and the Facebook messages that you went out and voted too. So the good news is we don't have to worry about an election anymore. This is in the past, and we have a new president who's going to be sworn in in January. That's fantastic. Now, if you weren't a super big fan of Biden and Harris, maybe you liked the guy in charge already, or maybe they weren't progressive enough for you, we hear you. But at least we think we can all rest assured that we're all equally happy that this election of 2020 is done. Uh, although there's a Georgia race coming up in January, but we'll talk about that later. We just wanted to give a little a message here at the beginning of this fantastic episode, The Takeover, that we recorded this episode on Monday, November the 2nd, the day before the election. Because of that, we say in this episode, we don't know what happens in the election. But of course, we do know now. So uh, it's been a crazy week as we've all just been glued to our TV sets the whole time. Just wanted to let you know, we know who won, but it sounds as if we don't on the episode. All right? So you've all done very well. Thanks again for voting. And now, on with the show. This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Betty's Pet Shop. If your pussy's in the mood, have it clipped and then shampooed. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free. I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Gladys. Gladys says hi. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Mr. Brandon. How are you doing? Oh, wow. Um, you know, it's just kind of a boring week. There's not much going on. Just not much going here. on here at all. No. You know, no. I've decided Twiddling to re- your thumbs. Yeah, I decided to realphabetize my sock drawer by color again. <laughs> you know, as you do. As one does. Right? <laughs> Uh, Unanimous, we usually record on a Tuesday night, but considering that there's a big Tuesday activity happening this week, we moved it a day early to Monday. So by the time this comes out, the election will have already happened, and we may or may not know a winner. Well, here's hoping we'll know a winner, but yeah, we we have no idea, and I don't think anyone on Tuesday will either. So um, I think Jeff and I wanted the evening free on Tuesday this week so we can slowly but methodically pull every one of the hairs out of our head um, (laughs) as we wait for this thing to end. But um, I want to say here that like it's so cool to hear from all of our fantastic listeners saying that they're voting and all of that stuff. So that was really great to hear from everybody. So thank you. Yes, thank you, everybody. Thank you to our new listeners, Alex and Adam and Shannon and Laura. Thank you for joining us. We're happy to have you along for the ride. They've done very well as well. Um, So, yeah, we don't know what's going on with the election. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, who knows? Well, I I think the one thing that we will know after Tuesday is that we'll no longer have campaign ads on television. Help us out, Esmeralda. That's a good sound. That is a good sound, yes. <laughs> Maybe I should retire, Esmeralda. I don't know. 
I don't know. She's kind of growing on me. We'll see. I, Gladys is here to stay, though. She's she's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know who else isn't going anywhere is Superfan Kim, who oh really God. rallied the troops in Houston. And uh, the GOP had filed suit in Texas State Supreme Court to throw out, like, hundreds of thousands of ballots. Totally. And they said, uh-uh, we got to count them all. And you so, know what? We don't know what Kim looks like. We know what she sounds like. But I swear I saw a woman on the Daily uh, Evening News with an Are You Being Served t-shirt that had like a big protest <laughs> sign in Houston. I think that was you, Kimberly. Let us know if it was you. So that was cool. So everyone, please, <laughs> um, even after the election, uh, when you're going out into the world, please still remember to wash your hands and wear a mask. And of course, as always, Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. And uh, especially for Kim, you've, you've all, all done, done very, very well. well. Yes, yeah, so Kim is our official um, election manager Houston for the correspondent. Houston, yes, the, the exactly. She's the Houston correspondent for the podcast. <laughs> oh my god! Because we're so big, we have con- uh, uh, correspondents throughout the country. Well, you know, our headquarters is in northern Mississippi, and we've got outposts in Iowa and Houston, and in Berkeley, California, and Berkeley, California, yeah. and uh, Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. So there you go. So Jeff, what are we doing? What the hell are we doing on this crazy thing called the podcast? What? Are, why are we here? So today we are talking about series five, episode five, the takeover, which originally premiered on March twenty fifth, nineteen seventy seven. Now is this and, just a ho hum episode? Like, I mean, there's so many episodes that are forgettable in this series. Really, come on. This Jeff. this is a fan favorite. You know, we <laughs> took we t- we took a very scientific poll. Yeah. Uh, just as scientific as the people who are predicting that Biden is going to win by eighty eight percent as an eighty eight percent chance of winning this okay. year. Um, and they told us the top three episodes, and the takeover was one of them. And, uh, and, and the, the sample concur. size, the sample size was Jeff and myself. Let's just be honest. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you like that one? Yeah, I like that one. Let's do it. Okay, good. So there we go. No, this is like when you think of the, if there is ever a great, you know, like how in the '90s they would have lots of those TV shows where they like assemble portions of episodes to make an extra episode where they're like, a clip rem- show. yeah, like they'll do it with um, Golden Girls and stuff. And I could just picture like the staff of Grace Brothers getting together. Oh, it was only yesterday when we were learning that time, but Mr. Grace did da da da. Do you remember? And then they fade to it. This would be one of those episodes where they would cut to lots of clips because um, God, there's so much in this episode. It's a big one. Yeah, yeah, this I agree with you. I think this would make a there's there's some scenes here that would make some great clip shows. But um so when this originally premiered back in March 1977, that week in the news, um Indira Gandhi lost re-election as um Prime Minister of India. Uh but she would be re-elected to a third term a few years later in 1980. Hmm. And of course so she's that. the famous what daughter or granddaughter of Mahatma Gandhi? I believe granddaughter. I believe granddaughter. I yeah, be it would be yeah. granddaughter. Yeah. Right. Cool. Okay. Um, but also that week, the Atlanta sanitation strike began. I had never heard of this. They did not cover this in my history books. But apparently <laughs> yeah. uh, in Atlanta, the sanitation department went on strike for about a month. Uh, oh, wow. all, all over uh, a 50 cent per hour wage hike. Um, and the mayor fired 900 workers in retaliation for going on strike. 
I wonder if that uh, mayor was reelected. That's that's insane. I'm I'm just surprised that they, that was allowed to happen. That that wasn't part of the union contract. And I'm just you know really curious as if that led to um, improvements in union protections. Hmm. I mean, it sounds like maybe they refused to negotiate with the union, and then you said no. Okay, we'll fire you. Okay, then you won't have any. <laughs> you'll have all of your trash for a month piling up. But geez. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. So speaking of trash, um, Mr. Harmon. <laughs> nice um, segue. Thank you. He <laughs> knows the he knows the download. He knows the details of everything that goes on in the store. You might because say he's he, responsible. You might say he knows the Rosie Lee of the store. The tea. <laughs> See what I did. You're, you're mixing you're mixing your your argos again, right? Oh damn! Um, yeah. Because he's responsible for young emptying Miss Young Mister Grace's waste paper basket, so he sees all the discarded memos and things like that. Um, totally. So he is about to bring the staff into Mister Rumble's office because they've got to. He's got to announce a secret uh, piece of news to uh, the staff, and um, when they all. Assemble in Mr. Rumble's office, Trevor Bannister flubs a lot. <laughs> um, because they're also used to saying good morning, Mr. Grace. That here they're greeting Mr. Rumbled, and he doesn't even think of it. He's just on autopilot. He says Mr. Grace. You know, it's and weird. you could hear him. Yeah, you know, it's weird because I, I swore I heard Mr. Grace, and I thought, did I mishear that? And now you just confirmed. No, he just yeah. flubbed the line. But you know, that's kind of what's so beautiful about the show is that people do break. Like there are two or three breaks on this episode. There's a lot. And yeah. like people, like the camera. I mean, if you think about um, old school TV shows, um, like this wasn't broadcast live, but almost. I mean, it might as well be. Right? I mean, it went to, it went, I mean, I can't imagine that they did a lot of takes, especially because it was, it went from like shot to production to air within less than three weeks. Right. And if you think about um, the camera person, having to like zoom around and they have to have the camera right exactly where the 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 actors are right zoomed in and they zoom out and then move it as the as the person walks by that's and a that was, lot of work and that was physically done on a dolly back yeah, then that yeah. was yeah that wasn't like you know an optical range lens so. and you so you see like little goofs where like they kick something and the the camera kind of moves up and down a little bit it just yeah. kind of becomes part of the the organic uh, delight of the show, but there you go. Yeah. So Mr. Rumble lets uh, them know that he has. There's been some important matters that have been discussed at a boardroom level. When you look up, he looks up. We're looking up right now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Lucas is like, "All right, well, maybe we're going to declare war on Marshall and Snell Groves." So um, I wasn't sure if this was a real store. If this is one of their made-up stores in <laughs> yeah. the show, but it actually, was a real a real store that it was the main competitor to Simpsons of Piccadilly, which is the store on which Grace Brothers is based. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a twenty-minute walk away, uh, closer to Bond Street than Piccadilly Circus. Okay. Um, but in a little bit later, they mention another store, which is completely fictional and is a lot funnier <laughs> if you understand Polari. Ah, well, luckily for us, we all know Polaris since the last episode. Right. So the entire staff is kind of hunched over uh, (laughs) to listen to the secret because Mr. Rumble is speaking in like hushed tones. Because it's absolutely crucial that it's very top secret. no one over here, right? (laughs) And so Mrs. Silker complains, if I shall have to hold this position much longer, I will need an osteopath to put me back. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but we get a great clap back from Mr. Humphreys, who's responding to Mrs. Slocum being held in her bent over position. Oh, you get used to it with practice. So <laughs> it's pretty funny. And then he kind of gives that like classic Mr. Humphreys kind of like eye flutter where his eyes yep. become like butterfly wings. Um, that's funny. So Mr. Rumbold is hemming and hawing about, you know, this is very important. It's so serious. I don't even want to have to tell you. So Mr. Harmon says, all right, I'll tell you. There's been a takeover bid from Lally and Willits. Right. So A lot to unpack with that one sentence. (laughs) There is indeed, right? (laughs) So first of all, Lally and Willits is not a real store. It's a fictional store they made up. But it's made up of two Polari terms for legs and breasts. Of women, not chickens. Oh. So if you were from London and you knew Polari, which, again, as we said in last episode, is like, a, it's a thing that's that's modern. Well, probably even more so back then, I'd say. Right. But, like, the people who watch the show live, they would have gotten the fact that Lally and Willits is the Polari word for legs and breasts. Right. And so, <laughs> I mean, the audience laughs. So, yeah. you know, you get, you know, there's... um. You know, there's there, there's some recognition there, right? And so Captain Captain Peacock is thinking, well, well, that's a Bristol firm, isn't it? And that gets a big reaction from the audience as well. I know, I didn't get it. I don't know what and that means. I, I totally didn't get it. But apparently Bristol is Cockney rhyming slang for something. So when they talk about, generally in um, English culture, when they talk about cities... They're also usually usually referring to the football clubs that are associated with them. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 totally. So, so the big one in Bristol is Bristol City, which rhymes with titty. <laughs> and so that's why oh he's God. asking. It's a Bristol firm because Willits is, is, is a Polari for breasts. And we right? poor Americans were like, what? We don't get it. Like, what right. is so funny? Oh, my God. And then, and then Slocum, and then Slocum has a topper to it. Who says, never mind where they hang out, what's in it for us? Oh my god! Which got another reaction, and if you don't get that Bristol is slang for titty, <laughs> you're not going to get the, the reference to hanging out. And the fact, that, I mean, that's even funnier because Mrs. Slocum is kind of, well, sometimes kind of just oblivious. Well, of course she is. She always talks about her pussy being her cat. Right. And she doesn't realize it's a sex joke, and she, eh, that's hilarious. Damn, that's like 10 seconds of explaining... But 10 seconds of, of show that, like, needs 10 minutes to explain. Right. But Lots of unpack. Something yeah. else I don't never really understood. Maybe this is, like, a business thing. But something that comes up in this episode a lot is the concept of a takeover bid. And uh, I don't know. Could you uh, – what I think happens here is yeah. Company A says, let's say they're Grace Brothers, and say Company B is Lally and Willits. And Lally and Willits wants to buy Grace Brothers. So, of course, right. it's not owned by Mr. Grace. It's like shareholders. So if most of the shareholders want to, sure, we'd love to be bought, bought and we would love to sell to Lally and Willits because each shareholder would make a lot of money. Right. And then if that happens, because as we learn in the episode, they're a really bad employer because they pay so poorly, that means that all of those people would probably lose their job. So is that what a takeover is? That's exactly right. You know, okay. it's because Grace Brothers is not wholly owned by young Mr. Grace himself. It is owned by shareholders. They each get a certain number of votes in any of those kind of decisions. And so 
the the idea is that Lally and Willits knows that there are people who will on the board who will vote for uh, the sale, and so that's where they're that's why they've um, done this takeover bid because they know that it's likely that they can they can get the the sale approved. Well, I I impress myself. Oh, hold on, come on, help, help me out, Gladys. Oh no, Gladys, are you okay? Oh, well. let me give some mouth to mouth resusc- mouth to bell resuscitation. Hold on. No, come on. I'm like I'm pushing on her chest and her sternum. Hold on, I think she's okay. I think she's dead. I think she's just died. Oh, I know. Goodbye, Gladys. Moment of silence for the bell. Oh, that's enough. She, she's just a bell. <laughs> uh, but, but something else. Like, <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll, I'll put in some like funeral march music over this and, and post. Um, but what happens with the hostile takeover bit? What is that? Because they mentioned that in the show too. Well, I think if it's hostile, it's going to be contentious. There's going to be lawyers involved. It's going to be like, um, you know, maybe some uh, arguments in the shareholder that might like in, in board meetings that might um, make their way into the news on page three or something like that. So Messy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, she's back. Oh, there we go. All right, no worries. And she's back, everyone. Hurrah. So we cut down to the canteen and the entire staff is reading the vacancy section of the newspaper. Uh, and they're all reading aloud uh, different jobs that one might, um, one might have or this is a good one for this other person at the end of the table. So Mrs. Slocum finds a job re- that's for an assistant to a film director that pays £5,000 per year. And apparently that's a very good salary, right? Yeah. So if you do the math, it's, that's worth about £31,000 today or about $40,000. So, okay. I mean, for someone who works in a shop, I mean, I think that that's, you know, that's a decent salary. It's a little bit more than uh, minimum wage in most places. But you also have to remember that pay structure in England is a lot different. You know, their their annual salaries are generally lower than ours because they get a lot more benefits paid by the government. Right. So you don't have to, like, pay for insurance or take that into account or you know things like that so yeah um captain peacock re um uh it is no who uh, is it maybe it's no it's lucas it's lucas who finds the one for a barber's assistant with fringe benefits <laughs> and, and i didn't i didn't get this for uh when i was a kid because i didn't understand that fringe was english slang for bangs I think that's cute. I, it's a total classic Mr. Lucas joke where he just kind of says something just for the effect of it. Just a one-liner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Mr. Humphrey sees that there's an organ demonstrator wanted somewhere, which even as a kid I got that knowing that organ is a term for the genitals. Right? It's funny because you would think that that would have gotten a huge laugh because it's Mr. Humphreys, but I don't think it really landed. Like no one really... No, it, it it didn't like, but it, there's a callback to it a, a, a little bit later on, which does get a little bit of a a, oh, okay. a laugh due to the uh, the circumstances, right? Yeah. Um, and then Miss Brahms reads one for a girl Friday, and so I've always heard this term, but I've never yeah. understood exactly what it means or where it's it like comes an old from. fashioned term, like you hear it in like James Bond movies and stuff like right. that. Yeah, for for a, an assistant or a secretary, right? Yeah. And it comes from Robinson Crusoe, actually, hmm. because he always used to introduce his servant as his man Friday because they were unable to communicate and he met the, ser- the, the man on a Friday, so he calls him Friday. 
So you have a man Friday and a girl Friday. Oh, that's funny. Terms, that's where it comes from. Yeah. I didn't understand <laughs> that. Um, Mrs. Slocum says that there is one vacancy around that is that does require to be filled, which is the one between Mr. Lucas's ears. Zing. So, great. Zinger indeed. <laughs> and Mr. Granger is, is ups, very upset because he doesn't think he's going to get another job at his age. And his wife hates having him in the kitchen all day because she says he makes the milk go sour. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely marriage. And I love the only job that he can get. And I always think of this scene whenever I hear the word. He says, the only thing I'm eligible for. What does he say? Not eligible. He says, that's too many syllables for him. His teeth would take it. Um, the only the only thing that looks like I could do is chairman. And of course, uh, company chairman? No, deck chairman. <laughs> like, I guess, can you picture Mr. Hump, Mr. Uh, Granger sitting around like, would you like to try the deck chair, sir? Um, so anytime I hear chairman, I always think of the scene. It's so stupid. And I always think of what? Deck chairman? You know, chairman of the board? Deck chairman of the board? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Funny. My brain. So Mr. Harbin interrupts their coffee break to summon everyone to the boardroom because young Mr. Grace has an idea to save their jobs. So they all take the last sip of their coffee and run upstairs. So... It turns out that young Mr. Grace is actually in a position to defeat the takeover bid. He knows that there are enough people who will vote against the sale. But the problem is that those votes were sent in via post, but according to the bylaws of the company, postal votes don't count. They have to, um, the voters have to be there in person. How timely is this episode? I was just going to say, like, just maybe a couple of hours ago, was it the Supreme Court of Texas? We learned that they were actually counting 170,000 votes that the Republicans wanted to, you know, make go away because that's what happens in this country of ours. Um, so that was a nice little victory. So, it, yeah, as I was watching this episode tonight, I was like, Jesus Christ, that's exactly what they're talking about in the uh, in the episode. Yeah. So. so with... With the attendance of four more voters, they know they could sway, they could get the votes on their side, but all the people who would vote against the sale are currently abroad, right? So Mr. Grace comes up with some straightforward business solutions to their problems. <laughs> it's so cute. Um, number oh, by one, the way, Bert, I have to say, I'm sorry, I have to say, this is the scene that I mentioned a couple of episodes ago. It's, it's so cute. He, oh, he says, do you have your pencil? <laughs> yes, Mr. Grace. We'll throw it away. We'll this throw is it away. Secret. This is top secret. <laughs> it's so cute. And then she gives this cute little like, whatever dude look. And then she puts it right. on the table. It's so cute. Right. Um, <laughs> so young Mr. Grace's ideas include, number one, burning down the store to collect the insurance money, which I feel is a trope. I feel like that's, you know, out there. It's, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't yeah. really land that big of a joke because it's expected. Number two, get the mafia to rub out the opposition. <laughs> and I love that, that Lucas then looks at Humphreys and he says, I think that's what they did last night on Kojak. Right. <laughs> Which is a TV show from the 70s of like a bald guy. And what was that guy's name? Telly Savalas. Telly Savalas. Who, loved, who yeah. loves you, baby. And he was just, it's a, like a goofy 70s, well, maybe not goofy, but a TV show from the 70s that they all would have thought as a very topical yeah. uh, joke. Uh, number three, they could hijack Mrs. Willis, lock her in the safe, and throw away the combination. And that which was, was from... also inspired a TV, by a TV show. Well, which right? one was it? Um, Hawaii Five O. 
Okay. <laughs> Which is another four, stupid TV show. <laughs> number four, photograph my secretary in bed with Mr. Willett. Which one was that? Oh, I don't remember. But each one, they're like, oh, he's obviously been watching a lot of TV because he's right. just, this is what we'll do. It's so funny. And then number five, photograph Mr. Humphreys in bed with Mr. Willett. The ultimate <laughs> weapon, of course. The ultimate weapon. And Mr. Humphreys' zinger is, did I miss a program or something? Because <laughs> obviously you would have wanted to watch that show that it was based on, right? That episode of EastEnders came many decades later, dear. Yeah. <laughs> so Mr. Harmon suggests to put a ringer in like they do with the horses, substitute it with another, because the votes are all there. They just need someone to be there to impersonate the people to actually cast the vote there. Yeah. So Mr. Grace offers 100 pounds to anyone who will take part in the charade and everyone raises their hand. So <laughs> we're going to get them playing characters. So we know that this is going to be a oh, great, yeah. great episode. Right? Totally. Uh, we cut to Mr. Rumble's office where they're going to choose which shareholders to impersonate and give out the roles, right? So, have any of you done any impersonations? Well, Mr. Humphreys has, but the case was dismissed for lack of evidence. Right? So, when I heard that, I knew somehow he was, like, caught having sex in a park or something. Right. But I don't yeah. know how that has to do with impersonations. Does that make sense? It doesn't need to make sense. It's, you, you've you conned on exactly to where the joke is, right? They've used they've taken a long word, impersonation, and just um, repurposed it to mean anything, <laughs> yeah. just to be able to fit the joke about, um, you know, Mister Humphreys having anonymous sex in in the park on Hampstead Heath, right? I do wonder so, though, like if <laughs> I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper. I wonder if maybe the official charge for being caught in a park with a man or something. Is called impersonation. Impersonation? Huh. Because it was so beneath them to say caught in a public toilet with a man. I don't know. Oh, well, well, maybe it's a little bit more innocent than that. Maybe it's female impersonation. Oh. Which may have been... Oh. Um, yeah, it's not sex. He was just dressed up as a girl for, right. for kicks one night. Right. Female impersonation. Interesting. Who knows? It's a good one. Um, Granger reminds us yet again that he could do a Churchill impersonation. I think this is the third time that we've heard this. Yes, yes, Mr. Granger, we all know. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mr. Rumble starts reading out descriptions of all of the shareholders uh, who would vote in favor or against the sale. And we start first with Jeffrey Longman, 28, broad shoulders, 6 foot 2, blonde hair, blue eyes, a wealthy yacht owner. Ooh. Mr. Humphrey says, oh, I like the sound of that. He's like, well, you can never play him. No, no, but I still like the sound of it. <laughs> I love that it doesn't say he's gay. Maybe he's talking about the yacht. Maybe he's, who knows? But, you know, it's right. just that ambiguity enough, you know? Yeah. So cute. Um, Andrew McNan from Aberdeen, 45, landowner, ex-captain of the Scots Scars, mustache and dark hair. So Peacock thinks he's perfect for this role. So he starts reciting a... Scottish patriotic poem to show off his Aberdeen accent. Yeah, this one... Yeah, in the age of the internet, like, it's alright. But in 1995 or whenever I saw this, I had no freaking idea what he was talking about. And, um... No, I mean, yeah. you don't even need to in order to appreciate the joke. You could just tell that he's reciting something and he's doing a Scottish accent. Yeah, but it was clear that, I mean... 
he was d- reciting something. He just wasn't like randomly saying Scottish words. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, I did some digging around. It was actually kind of a cool little thing. I will give credit to Mr. Professor Jeff who found the name of it. Um, how would you say that? Scotswahey? Scotswahey. Yeah. Scotswahey. So the National Party, the Scottish National Party is a political party in the UK and they have seats in Parliament. Um, but it's they have a lot of seats in Parliament. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with that. Their goal is to separate Scotland from the United Kingdom, which of course is England, Wales, and um, Scotland and Northern Ireland. But the people in Scotland they want to become their own country. And if you remember when um, the Brexit vote happened to remove the UK from the U- European Union. Um, everyone in Scotland was like, uh, we want to stay in the European Union. So maybe we will just separate from the UK, become the country of Scotland, and then we can join back the European Union. So there's a whole yeah. thing about separatism. Um, but this is cool because this the, the little poem that he recites is the national song of the Scottish National Party. So like whenever they have like um, like their convention every year, everyone sings this song that captain peacock sing kind of recites and it's actually a song there's a tune that goes to it um so it's kind of cool it's like this little little thing (laughs) little thing descriptive brandon love it the final the final description of andrew mcnan is that he's got one ear missing and so uh (laughs) captain peacock decides that it's not worth it not even for a hundred pounds or pounds right he's still steeped in that accent yeah Good, um, good, good try, Miss uh, Captain Pico. The next shareholder is Sir Richard Ryan, sixty-five, <laughs> five foot six, a landowner from Somerset, right? And so Somerset is in a region of England called the West Country. So uh, it's actually where Bristol is, um, and that area is typically associated with rural agriculture, right? So he's his, uh, Mister Granger's mockery of that Somerset accent is as if we would do like an Appalachian accent in the United States, like, you know, West Virginia, Mountain Rose, take me home. Yeah. Or like a, like a redneck kind of accent for the people from the South or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you think about a cartoonish pirate accent, right? Like Captain Hook. Army matey. That kind of thing. Right. That's typically uh, based on a West country accent. So that's why he's doing this, you know, that's trying to imitate the Somerset accent. But then um, Rumble lets him know that he went to Eton, which is a very posh college. So he's got to take that and make it less guttural. He's like, oh, you know, which is funny because they're very similar. Like They're basically they're very similar. the same thing. Yeah. So I actually, when I was in the UK for a while, I had the pleasure of going to Bristol. And it's actually a beautiful city. Um, if you're ever in, this, in the UK, I would say, like, London's fabulous, but maybe check out other places. So, um, so Bristol, in like you said, um, the accent of people from that part of the country have this kind of very hard R, R, right? So if you think about, like, London and, like, the nobility and the way you speak is so important. So... When you think of an English accent, you don't say car, you say car, right? There's no R sound. Hard. Mm-hmm. There's no hard R. And Americans were like, hello, how are you, car? You know. So back then, and maybe today as well, um, to have a hard R is not like the people who are quality. 
let's say. Right. So, you know, if you're in London, you're kind of metropolitan, you live in the city, you might have land or whatever. So you wouldn't have a hard R accent. Um, but the people in this part of, the, of, of England, they do. So when you think about, I don't know what century, like the 16, 1700s, when you would have these big galleon ships going all across the world and stuff, and that's kind of when pirates would kind of come to jump to the world. And the the stereotype of the pirate accent was, arr, me matey, arr. Well, they're kind of mimicking or, you know, Harkening back to that that hard R of Somerset, um, which is cool because like actually, so Bristol was this giant, huge port city. Um, a lot of American immigrants who came from England left from Bristol to New York and stuff, which was kind of cool. So there's like an American hit there, but yeah, it's like they should have like Captain Hook as a statue or something in the city center. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your hats because we have a controversial joke that <gasps> has an element of race in it that I'm going to say has lasted through the ages and is still funny today. Okay, I'm ready. So here we go. I'm ready. So they're talking about the next, um, uh, the next shareholder who is a professional dancer and they're describing him. And Mr. Humphrey says, well, the word versatile has applied to me before, right? Huge, um, huge thing to unpack there. Do straight people know what that means? Do we have to explain to the people? Probably, yeah. We let's, have one or two straight people, that. by the way. Just one or two. <laughs> you know. let, let's do that before we get to, to, the, to, to the, the, the racial I'll, joke, I'll right? let you take this one, Mr. Jeff. Thank you very much. <laughs> so the word versatile in the gay community refers to um, sexual position. Right, versus someone who prefers both to be active and passive, or as we say, top and bottom. We right? have an explicit tag on our podcast, so all of you who are cringing, you knew what you were getting into, right? <laughs> so this word was first used in uh, 1978 uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a published book called The Social Organization of Gay Males. So I'm wondering how long it had been around in gay culture before that, before it had been published into the, you know, the wider world. And would the audience in the 1977 UK understand what that means? Well, just judging from the laughs, I think they do. I guess they must have, right? So maybe I, I want to break it down just in case we have some rather innocent, lovely people who... I'm going to use pasta as, as a breakdown of what this word means. I think it could be fun. So if you have spaghetti, one way to eat the spaghetti is you can kind of take a spoon and you take a fork and you put the noodles through the fork and you put the fork into the spoon and you twirl it around, right? And then you have all of the noodles around your fork. Perfect, right? What this means is some people would like to be the spoon some people would like to be the fork. And if you're versatile, you could be either one. Does this make I sense? I have never heard that allegory before. It's a unique, original allegory that just came from my mind. But I think it works. So take that, world. Anyway, this, this, this shareholder is a professional dancer, but he only has one leg, and he is from Nigeria. So... 
Mr. Rumbold asks Mr. Humphreys, can you play a one-legged Nigerian tap dancer? <laughs> and Mr. Humphreys deadpans, not with any degree of sincerity. <laughs> I love I love that scene because he tries to he tries the whole one-legged thing. He's he's open to it. Right. He and did. he does this really cute like marionette kind of thing where he pretends his right leg is like the one that's like maybe a false leg. And he kind of picks up the leg by using his trousers. By his trousers, And right. he kind of, like, d- moves it about, which was very cute, I thought. But, yeah, he couldn't. Yeah, so, so that was the ra- slightly racist uh, angle you were talking about. Yeah, so here's why this joke holds up, right? It's because it doesn't victimize anyone, right? It doesn't make fun of the fact that there is a one-legged Nigerian tap dancer, Um that's out there. It has nothing to do with race or Nigeria specifically. Yeah. It just they, I'm sure they picked that country because it was very representative of where a lot of Africans in the UK were originally from at that time. Totally. Right. So there, there's no victim here. There's no butt of the joke. And it just happens to be um, another characteristic of there, right? Because he doesn't get into blackface. He doesn't do any kind of accent or mocking at like a Nigerian speech pattern. He also doesn't attempt to do a dance that you might associate with, you know, West African tribal culture. Yeah. If he had, it would have completely gone into the realm of this is not, this is no longer funny and it's making fun of someone, but you're absolutely right. The, the, this is the kind of joke that, um, it's 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 cute and it's I wouldn't say innocent, but it certainly could have gone further into that inappropriate land and it didn't, so And it didn't. Yeah. yeah. So Well done. Well done, Lloyd and Croft, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we get to who I think are the stars of the episode, the Stableforth family. <laughs> right. So we hear introductions about Lady Stableforth, who is 40-ish, stoutish, not very tallish, and played hockey for Reading. <laughs> well, I've done hockey. Like, I, I, I just can't picture, like, Mrs. Slocum playing hockey, but... Right. I mean, I assume hockey then is hockey now, right? Like... Well, the, the, well they're talking about field hockey, not ice hockey. Yeah, it's just... Okay. Yeah. Right. They start to describe the daughter Lavinia, and Molly Sugden just loses it. I know. Because she knows what's coming up because (laughs) she's read the script. And I'm assuming they've also done a costume fitting and they've seen um, uh, 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 Wendy Richard in the the buck teeth. So um, the daughter Lavinia is a 26 jet setting playgirl known to her friends as Bucky because she's got prominent buck teeth. So here's where Proud to Peacock says, well, I don't mean to bring class into this, but can Miss Brahms play a lady of quality? So Wendy Richard puts on her posh accent, but keeps the Cockney grammar. So cute. My background might ever be so humble, but I can talk just as hoity-toity as what you can when required so to do. Especially for 100 nicker. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that she says what you can. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago that Mrs. Slocum kind of told her class by saying... um, by what? using what as the conjunction instead of, of that, yeah. When or whatever it was, yeah. And so then Mrs. Slocum says, Well, who's gonna simulate my husband? <laughs> and like the audience like was like one, two, 
three laugh. Like it took them a couple seconds to get there. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Lord Stableforth is about 55. He's a self-made man from the East End of London. He used to work as a salvage merchant. So he's like a so, recycling guy, basically. Right. Yeah. Scrap metal, right? Yeah. So Peacock is desperate for a role because he wants the hundred pounds. So he tries to recite um, the the words of I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts with a Cockney accent. <laughs> to which Miss Brom says, Well, I hate to bring class into this, but you wouldn't last five minutes in Dockland. <laughs> to which Mr. Which Humphrey is, says very few of us would. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he does in Docklands. Well, it's it's a rough area, you know, and they wouldn't, like, take too kindly to his sort. There. I sort of assume that that's where he would go to no. play with forks and spoons. No. No. Okay. They, they, they wouldn't like the kinds of people who play with forks and spoons in 1970s Dockland, right? On cue, Mr. Harmon comes in, and his language is full of Cockney rhyming slang. You know, he offers... Uh, Mr. Rumbold of Rosie Lee, which is tea, and he says, be careful not to spill it on your whistle, which is short for whistle and flute, rhymes suit. with suit. Oh, I did. I heard him say whistle, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but there it is. Another, I knew Rosie Lee because we talked about Cockney rhyming sling so much, but that's a new one. Whistle, no, uh, whistle yeah. and flute means suit. Yeah. See, that's really tricky when they don't say the second word of the rhyming slang. Right. Right. You have to just know it, which is difficult. But it was right. cute. Like, oh, dear, we don't have a Cockney person. Knock, knock, knock. Hello, here's your Rosie Lee. <laughs> so cute. So they've cast four of the shareholders, but Peacock, Humphrey, and Lucas don't have roles. I wonder what they're going to do. I hope we find out. And speaking of finding out, I would love to know what's on special in the canteen. What do you say we go grab a little nosh? Let's go down, see our friend the manager us, and head on down to the canteen for a tea break. We'll be right back. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. Hey, okay, we're back from the canteen. Um, I had some deflated Yorkshire puddings. What did you have, Mr. Jeff? I couldn't be bothered, bothered with anything that was on the menu, so I just asked for a tin of soup, a nail and a hammer, and a straw to suck it up with. Very efficient. Very <laughs> efficient. So where were we in the episode? So up in Mr. young Mr. Grace's office, his secretary, Miss um, Bakewell, gets a call that the company chef and waiters were doing a lunch over at the Brighton branch, and the van is broken down, so they won't be able in time to make the dinner for the shareholders' meeting. Oh, dear. 
So we cut down to the kitchen and we see uh, Mr. Lucas and Captain Peacock in poorly fitting suits. <laughs> and I feel like any time that they have to wear a costume, that's the visual gag they go for these two. Yeah. Is that they find suits to that don't fit them, right? Didn't they do that in like the Muppets or something? Like anytime you had to wear a tuxedo because you always had to rent them because people didn't buy them. That well, the they did, they did that mis- in, in, in the dress hire episode where they had the dress hire department. Yeah, they I just feel like that's whole... just like anytime you rent a tuxedo, it never fits it's a tri- on TV. It's a tri- it is a trip. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So the Mater D's suit barely fits Lucas, and it couldn't possibly fit Peacock because he's taller. And so yeah. Peacock is appalled because he's older, he's more senior. He should have the, um, the more senior position in the restaurant. But in this case, it's all about fulfilling the charade. Fooling the so, people, yeah. Right. So they've done this. Have you ever worked um, in food service where you've had to – um, get dressed up and like serve people. No, I, I haven't myself, but I know a lot of people who have worked like catering, like a bunch of my friends have done it before. Um, and you know, there's a lot of lovely, generous people in the world. And there's a lot of people who are real assholes. <laughs> and, um, usually when people are being served little crudités on a silver platter while someone's wearing a tuxedo serving them, that's when their not so nice side can come out. So you all have my sympathies out there in yeah. the world. What so about you? I, yes, I was a cater waiter. I was a cater waiter for a very brief period of time in high school. And it was a very popular job where I grew up because we did have a lot of catering halls and function halls. So <laughs> in the New York metropolitan area, for people who aren't from here, uh, it's very popular to have not only a wedding at a catering hall, but baptism bar, bat mitzvah, graduation party, sweet 16, all of these things are really treated pretty much on the same level as a wedding. Sorry, wouldn't you say because like in the, like especially the metro New York area, our homes are not 5,000 square feet. So you don't have the space like you would in the middle of the country to have everyone come over for a big party. So you do kind of rent out these like private spaces commercially because you just don't have the space to host people. Yeah, that's that, that's probably one of the reasons for it. Yeah, um, and but all of these events are really you know on par with a wedding in terms of that mm. it is um, a formal affair. Uh, you wear a suit to all of them. Uh, there's no such thing as khakis and flip flops to a backyard wedding at, at all here. Um, I remember the first time that um, when my friend who lived in Oregon, who are from the East Coast, but lived in Oregon for a while. They got married back on the East Coast and they invited friends from Oregon out. And they were dressed very casual at the wedding just because they didn't know. Because how very that's not, dare they? That's just not how it is in the Northeast. You know, all of these kind of functions. Anyway, so yeah, so I was a cater waiter. It lasted a very short period of time because... I had to serve soup, and rather than those nifty little pitchers that Mr. Lucas and Captain Peacock used... You used straws they made and, us, like, hammers and nails? <laughs> they made us carry these huge tureens of minestrone. And me being this gangly 15-year-old kid, <laughs> I could barely lift the tureen, and I ended up spilling minestrone in the bride's grandmother's lap. <gasps> 
Oh my god. Yeah. You ruined their wedding. Not en- not enough to burn her, but certainly enough to like ruin the dress. So I was like, yeah, okay, um that's, that's She wasn't wearing that. that thing again. <laughs> that's true. She probably wasn't going <laughs> to she probably wasn't going to wear it again. Anyway. Oh my so, god, how funny. <laughs> so there there you know, Lucas and Peacock are fighting over who's the head waiter and who's the 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 kami as as uh, Peacock puts it. When we hear a high pitched yelp coming from <laughs> off stage. Yes. Humphreys, I wonder who this comes could in be. And he's wearing chef whites and a pink taffeta neckerchief. Like he's friggin' Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> it's hysterical, right? Um, Mr. Lucas calls him Fanny, refers to him as Fanny Cardock, who was a famous restaurant critic and had one of the first cooking TV shows. Um, on television in the uh, 40, in the 50s, right? Okay. So he's just seen the menu that he's supposed to cook for today, and he's, he's, um, he, he doesn't know how he's going to get it done, right? So for I, starters, go. I, I will say, I will say that it seems kind of, I don't know, so many things can be said about Mr. Humphreys, but in this scene, he seems to be playing what two straight men like Lloyd and Croft would imagine a frazzled housewife must feel like because he's so feminine and somehow he also he later talks about you typical of men you know it's just he seems such like a housewife in this episode and I mean it's hilarious I'm not really complaining about it but I just noticed that he um I you think know, the word you're looking for is hysterical. Hysterical, yeah, hysterical. That's a good, a good word, yeah. So, you know, and, and of course, if you think about like in the 60s and 70s, if you watch movies, a lot of times they'll portray women who, you know, are the homemakers who, you know, take care of the entire house and the kids as hysterical over like the slightest little thing, right? Oh, Mike, just take a tranquilizer. Just take a tranquilizer. That's a lovely throwback. <laughs> um yeah, but of course, you know, seeing Mr. Humphreys like go insane is a, a, a joy. But um, there's definitely like the fact that they've put him in that female position, which is is kind of part yeah. of the funny bit of it. Um, you know, I'm not complaining, but it's something I noticed. So, yeah, no, no, it, it's it's a good it's a good eye on that, and I think that you're right. I I um, I didn't put two and two together, but I think that the basis of this is. Is the hysterical housewife. It's not a professional chef who was overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. And if you watch a, like a, a contemporary ship movie or something from like, I don't know, there's there's a couple of movies from the 70s that I can't think of, right? Their names. But, you know, they'll portray a housewife that's like just frazzled and hysterical over the stupidest thing, you know. Right. Which is kind of, you know, a way that men thought women were because – Men are kind of assholes, so... Right. <laughs> anyway. So, on the menu for tonight, for starters, there's either bisque mar, which is um, lobster bisque, uh, gazpacho, or smoked eel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next course is sol veronique. So, uh, sol is obviously a type of fish. And veronique is a style where it's cooked with grapes and tarragon. Hmm. Which sounds delicious. Except for the fish thing for you. Except for the fish thing for me. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Next course is duckle orange. Yum. And then the next course is yet another meat dish where they're having buffon croute, 
which is almost like a beef wellington where it's a steak cooked in a puff pastry. So what is beef wellington? Because that's kind of an old-fashioned dish um, that not a lot of people have had, especially these days, because it's kind of, it's passe sort of to have it. Are you familiar with it? Well, it's a, it's, it's a steak cooked in a puff pastry. I, I don't know what the difference of cut of meat is, the difference between a, a buff on croute and a beef wellington. But if you look at, like, pictures and recipes of them, they're basically the same. I know with Beef Wellington, I, I don't know what, where I learned this, but um, I think uh, Jackie Kennedy, Jacqueline Kennedy in the White House even, served Beef Wellington at, like, some, like her first big um, White House dinner where she was sort of, like, showing off. You know, like, and is that, is that how it picked up speed in the States? It became the – so like ask if, – if your grandmothers are around people, first say you love them and uh, call them and say, tell me about Beef Wellington. And that is probably something that she cooked for your grandfather all the time in the 60s. It was the big thing. So you take some sort of like – I don't know. What's that long strip of beef? Um, like not a roast, but like almost like a tenderloin, maybe a tenderloin. That's what you do. And then you take roasted and cooked mushrooms cooked in wine sauce and maybe a little bit of garlic. And you make it like a paste. And then you cover the tenderloin in this mushroom paste and with some uh, Dijon mustard, right? And then you wrap the whole thing in puff pastry. I think it's puff pastry. I think it is. And then you yeah. bake it. So it's like when you slice it, it's this really cool, like meat and then like mushroom and mustard so anyway i just wanted to say that it's like a super old-fashioned thing that now i'm hungry damn it i should have had more food in the pantry and the, <laughs> <in> the canteen <laughs> and then for dessert we have got a choice of syllabubs or zabayon which they hysterically mispronounce hysterical to me mispronounce as zabaglionis um I always thought that was... I'm trying to think of a joke. That, I thought that was the thing that they uh, run over the ice skating rink with. Oh, Zabayon? <laughs> yeah, right? Isn't that the same thing? Very, very close. Close Thank enough. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Gladys. So, syllabubs, it's a sweet cream that's been curdled with cider. It kind of looks like junket. It looks like it's the same kind of consistency. God, that but doesn't sound it's appetizing at all. Right? <laughs> And then Zabayon is a custard that's made with Moscato wine. Um, it is a lot, it's more bitter than it is sweet. So I'm not usually a fan of it. Hmm. Um, I, I would, I prefer my desserts to be more sweet than sour or bitter or salty. Like sweet needs to be the prominent um, flavor for me. For it sounds like dessert. you are unanimous in this, Jeff. Yeah. So, um, Mr. Humphreys is continuing to pitch a fit about having to cook the dinner. And he goes, me trousers are too tight and my potatoes are boiling over. <laughs> <laughs> potatoes meaning his little bits. That's what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Go. Right. They're back and forth between the dining room and the kitchen. And um, Mr. Lucas has taken a habit of not even referring to Stephen by his name, but rather snapping his fingers twice <laughs> in order to put on the air of... Um, of um, uh, the the seniority in the dining room. Yeah. So Captain Peacock bursts back into the kitchen, complaining about Mr. Lucas. One more insult from that man, and these clothes are coming off. <laughs> Mr. Humphrey and Mr. Humphrey can't take it. He can't. He had. An, he's had enough. 
don't start distracting me now. I'm very busy. <laughs> of course, he's like making like bread from scratch. Like he's whisking. Eggs he's making and his stuff. Yorkshire pudding. He's making his Yorkshires. Is what he's doing. <laughs> um. Well. Captain Peacock came back in to serve the serve the sherry, but there are three empty glasses because they've been pre-poured. Well, one's in the trifle and two are in me. <laughs> what is it? So, have you uh, ever had a trifle? Are you familiar with that? So, I think that I think that um, s- listeners of a certain age, meaning Generation X, will be familiar with tr- American listeners will be familiar with trifle from the sitcom Friends. Because there was that one episode where uh, Rachel tried to prove that she wasn't a terrible cook and tried to make a dessert for everyone, but she got um, the pages of her cookbook mixed up. (laughs) And she ended up putting, you know, she did, did, you know, the layers of the ladyfinger and the custard and the jam, but she also ended up putting ground beef in (laughs) one of the layers. And so there's this whole thing where, like, they had to like pretend to like it, not to hurt her feelings. So, so trifle is a very British thing. Um, mm-hmm. If you've watched the Great British Bake Off, I'm sure they talk a lot about that. But they, so if you've not seen it, um, a trifle is probably the easiest dessert you can do, right? I wouldn't say that unless you're the lady from Friends. <laughs> Like uh, if you're if you're making the custard from scratch, if you're making the lady fingers from scratch, yeah, true. not at all. Right? But what it is, it's really kind of a cool thing. So it looks really good for like a, a party. So it's a trif- very visually appealing. Totally. Yeah. So a t- a trifle dish, it's almost like God. It's hard to describe. It's a glass thing with a pedestal. So if you picture like a cake stand with a cake lid. With a bowl on it, though. It's got a bowl with very high sides. Yeah, but it's like take the take the cake lid and turn it upside down and make it glass. So basically, yeah. it's like a great big brandy sniffer with uh, straight sides on the side that's, I don't mm-hmm. know, holds like two gallons of liquid. I mean, they're pretty. it's pretty big, you know, if you yeah. fill it up. And then what's cool, because it's glass, you can put different layers of like strawberries and ladyfingers and cream and custard and whatever and kind of make a cool design on the side of it. So when you when you serve it, of course, the design's destroyed. But it's a very British thing, so I, it's kind of cool. I like that. We, it's yeah. weird that we don't really have any, an equivalent of that here. What would be the closest thing to trifle that we have in terms of a dessert that it's a, that its appeal is more based on its look than... Mm what it tastes like. I was going to say the closest thing without the look aspect is probably cobbler because it's just kind of mush and you kind of just spoon it and slop it on your plate, which you do with trifle, but I guess jello mold. But, but cobbler, I mean, cobbler is, cobbler is two ingredients. It's the fruit and like the strudel type. I was going to say cobble. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the, the cobble. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what that's called. Like what is like that sugary, I think it's called Flaky strudel, bit. like you said. The I strudel bit, yeah. yeah. Um, jello molds, may, maybe, but they're they're also not complicated in terms of like layers and things of ingredients. Well, you know, well, okay. Well, what about? Um, Hold on a minute. Do you remember when you were a kid in school, in elementary school, and you get the red jello with like the little bits of pear suspended in it? Maybe that's. I don't know. That's a stretch. I'm thinking about. Um, I'm thinking about Midwestern quote unquote salads where like mayonnaise based salads, 
Okay, my grandmother made a dish called ambrosia salad. Ambrosia, there you go. Mm. Ambrosia is probably our closest thing to trifle because it's layers made up with layers of ingredients. It's definitely more visually appealing than it is tasty. I think it's delicious, and I'll fight you on it. It's red. It's a strawberry jello, whipped cream, cottage cheese, pecans, and I think cheese. That sounds delicious, Jeff. Now come on. So, I've had. <laughs> Jeff looks that, like he's about to be sick. <laughs> that, that is not. My name is Betty and I want to go to the potty. Um, That is not the recipe for ambrosia salad I've had. The recipe for ambrosia salad I've had is um, crushed pineapple, coconut, whipped cream, maraschino cherries, and I think fruit cocktail. And then maybe some kind of really... Um, flavorless cookie like a Lorna Dune or something like that. Hmm. But it's this, it's the same concept where it's layers. See, ambrosia, right. now that I think about it, I don't think ambrosia salad was layers. It was just like, sit, it was always served in one of those great big 70s Tupperware bowls that your grandma would bring over. Yeah. But it was pink, yeah. so that's probably why I remember it. <laughs> So, back in the dining room, Mr. Lucas is announcing the guests as they come in, um, which is which is very – it's a trope that you see whenever there's a highfalutin, you know, people of quality, people with lords and ladyships titles, you know. They get announced in the dining room. They, they present the card with their name on it and the, the maitre d' announces so that everybody knows that so-and-so is here because – they're the bell of the ball. They're important. And, you know, you might have to greet them because you might have a social obligation that you need to be the third person to say hello to them in order <laughs> to fit into, you know, your ever whatever uh, classicist structure that there is. It's just such a weird concept because even, you know, even they throw this term around a person of quality, you know, like that just rings so weird to my American ears. I'm sure it's not something that, you know, people consciously do but like that implies that people who aren't of quality are people who don't have quality like they're, they're lower common. quality they're kind well, of there's, yeah, I know, there's quality in common yeah. i know it's just so weird you know of course we don't have that whole layer of nobility and, and ascending and peerage and you yeah. know and and like being so important that your name is announced when you go to a party um yeah it's a very very un-American thing, which is kind of just feels weird to me. So we meet two real share, shareholders first. We meet Mr. Henry Grant Hopkins and Lady Weebleable Smith. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those things that you can quote for are you being served isms to your friends. Um, like when I call my friend Jimmy, he'll answer the phone and I'll say, yes, is Lady Weebleable Smith available? And then he'll say, Yes. But we actually heard a really cool uh, little message from Superfan, the other Jeff, um, who gave us a little tip about this, didn't he? Yeah, he's he's thinking that it might be a reference to the real-life Lady May Abelsmith, who was um, a granddaughter of Queen Victoria. Ooh, and she helped out with the coronation of Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth II. Um, right, who was her cousin. 
something but i think she probably like, like held the train or she did something in the ceremony or whatever yeah but yeah that was kind of cool thanks uh thanks other jeff uh, Mr. Granger comes in as Sir Richard Ryan and Trevor Bannister breaks. <laughs> he can't keep a straight face. And you can, if you watch it, he's trying. He's trying so hard not to break. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and then Lord and Lady Stableforth came in. Oh, we came from Monte Carlo before you could say Nave. Um, I didn't know that that was a saying. I mean, Nave is what they call a jack in a deck of cards. Okay. But I didn't understand. Like, I didn't. I don't get the the reference. Like, I didn't know that that was a saying. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe when you win a game like Canasta or I don't even know what they play in Monte Carlo, you have to <laughs> announce that you have like the winning jack. So you have to say Nave. Before you is is that a phrase? Before you can say Jack. Oh, but but that that means something different here because saying Jack doesn't refer to the card. Hmm. I think we're stumped. Oh well. I don't know. It's bound to happen um, once or twice in our lifetimes. Uh, Wendy Richard came, comes in with her false teeth as Lavinia Stableforth. Oh, I was also in Monte Carlo. I went around to buy 5,000 pounds. Pounds. <laughs> I love, by the way, uh, Molly Sugden comes in and she's got like this fabulous pink ball gown with like four animals worth of fur. And then she has like a tiara and like she's dripping. She dripping. has a tiara. <laughs> she's dripping with, with jewels. And if you look at the way the lights bounce off of those i want to think that those are actual diamonds that they use for the filming come on now do you think that bbc had the budget to give molly sugden diamonds even just for like one third of an episode well you can rent them you know like all those people on the oscars and could stuff they don't them own then? them uh... could you rent them then though Okay, we just talked about peerage and like everyone wants to ascend. I bet you there's probably a lot of services back then where yeah, you could rent true. things. But that's a good question. <laughs> but yeah, that was impressive. Like she was, she was, she was feeling herself, as the kids say. Um, back in the kitchen, Mister Humphrey's uniform is burnt. It's obviously caught fire at some point. <laughs> Um, he set the regulator number nine, which is re- sounded really high to me, and then I looked it up, and it is. It's about 475 degrees Fahrenheit or 250 degrees Celsius. Um, he lit the pilot light, and puff, everything caught fire, right? Which puff is kind of another word for – kind of a slow. naughty word for gay men. And, of course, yeah. we, know, we remember from seasons ago that regulo number nine refers to the regulo company – that made most of the a very popular, um, a very popular oven, like oven or stove in the UK. So they didn't use temperatures; they used regular number one, two, three. Very, so very gas marks. It's yeah. crazy. So like they would have recipes that say cook this at you know two hundred fifty degrees or regular number nine. Is that crazy? Yeah. Hurrah! He, he needs to send um, Captain Peacock and Mister Lucas back out. To retrieve the soup that he just they just served to everybody, <laughs> um, and so Humphreys bangs two pots together to announce that dinner is served. Dinner is served. <laughs> He's so distraught; he doesn't care. Yeah. Poor Mister Humphreys. So, um, Miss uh, Mrs. Slocum is talking about her daughter Lavinia. She passed out of Rodine with flying colors. Um, yeah, me and, and then uh, Mr. Roman goes, yeah, me and the Dutch was real proud of her. 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't, didn't understand what any of that was. <laughs> I, I figured out that there was a um, that there was a Cockney rhyming slang in there somewhere for Dutch. I, yeah, I was thinking the same out. thing. It's Dutch Fife is rhymes with wife. Ugh. I originally thought like Duchess and Duchess. I was thinking of Dutch and then Holland and Netherlands, but I couldn't think. But yeah, yeah, wow. And then what is Rodine? What is that? Is that a name of something? It's the name of a, it's the name of a posh um, boarding school for girls in Brighton. Okay, so she yeah. was compl- she was boasting that Lavinia, she was name dropping a fancy school. Is what she, she was, was name dropping a school, right? So, okay. so the the schools that you need to know in terms of being able to participate in British humor. I'm right? taking notes. E- Eden is the the one oh. for boys. Uh, Rodine is the one for girls, and then oh. Bead. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's lost it, ladies and gents, lords and ladies. Can you please do your voting impression again? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing as eating, but for girls. Because that's what girls sound like, Jeff. <laughs> oh my god! And then the third school you need to know about is uh, B Dale's, which is. Um, one that's an art school, but it's really, really expensive. But so, oh, I, oh, I, oh, because they're gay, because they're arts, okay. they're gay arts, I tried. right? Back in the kitchen, we see um, that Mr. Humphrey's souffle is rising comically <laughs> out of the pan, and he's trying desperately to hold the lid, he's like on putting his body weight on over. top of the lid. Yeah, <laughs> so this reminded me of the I Love Lucy episode. Um, where Lucy and Ethel make a bet with Ricky and Fred that they can cook, no, they can keep up the house for an entire week without using an invention made after 1900. So they have to like churn their own butter and like sweep the floor instead of using a vacuum. And they make their own bread and Lucy comically puts too much yeast in it. And it shoots out the oven. I remember that. And it's like yeah. makes like 15 feet of bread, which, right. you know, exactly. is comical. Yeah. yeah. And I love that the souffle, like, I wondered what it was made of. It almost looks like it's that expanding foam that you insulate, like, parts you of your house with. insulate the walls or your tire with. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Um, the Yorkshires, I think, were made with the same thing. Well, the York, so the Yorkshires, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a rubber thing because it deflates. Um, it's like a sheet of rubber that they put onto a a, a pan. Yeah. Um, it's funny because Yorkshire pudding is also something we don't have in the states. It's essentially like a very simple, slightly sweet, eggy batter that you put into an extremely hot pan full of fat, like bacon drippings or whatever, or just oil. It, you put it in your oven for like I don't know half a half an hour at really really hot. So then you pour the batter into it, and it basically explodes into this kind of like popadum. Like there's no, there's. It's very hard for us to it's, describe. It's it. like a it's like a popover, right? It's not as crispy as a popadum, but it's like yeah. it's flaky on the inside, and it's crusty on the outside. I had always thought that Yorkshires were individual. I didn't think it was like. At least in this prop, it's one big tray of one big Yorkshire that's get cut up. Yeah, I that's the know. traditional way to do it. So like, oh, when okay. you go I thought to, they I mean, were individuals. Yeah, so if you go to like, um, 
like a pub, a traditional pub on like for Sunday lunch, they'll yeah. probably have on the menu Yorkshire pudding. And it's probably like a little small one because if you're doing it for your family, you do a great big one and everyone kind of tears off a little piece of it or whatever. But oh, um, okay. yeah, for, for American audience, like your old oh, Yorkshire's, what does that mean? We don't know what that means. So there's just no equivalent because we don't do it here. Yeah. So they've got to delay the din- dinner for a little bit. So Mr. Humphreys tells them to start the, to tell Mr. Lucas to tell them to start the speeches. And we see Mr. Harmon getting up and he's giving a great speech about Mr. Grace's entrepreneurial spirit and how he runs the company. Meanwhile, young Mr. Grace is asleep <laughs> at the dinner table. Right? He's about to be face down in his Bisco Mard in any second ring, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they all vote uh, informally. You know, they, they don't get out the paper and the balance or anything. They all vote informally to keep Mr. Grace as uh, the head of the company Yay. and not to sell to Lally and Willits. And he also moves that they he takes them out to the best restaurant in town because the dinner here is terrible, right? <laughs> um, Mr. Peacock asks Mr. Harmon, still me? in still in character. Who who I'm is sorry. This? I'm sorry. Stephen asks Lord Stableforth uh, if um, that his offer to take everyone out to dinner extends to the people who have been working behind the scenes of the kitchen. Uh, yes, but one call and maybe they'll let you in the kitchen with the rest of the staff, but they won't let you in until you straighten your penny, uh, which has been a running joke that everyone has commented that Mr. Uh, Captain Peacock's um, apron and his poorly fitting costume has been crooked the entire time. I guess a penny is like an apron, but maybe a very specific apron that's below the waist only, maybe? Well, a penny is anything that you put over your regular clothes. So like if you think about um, high school gym class where you have to kind of wear that half shirt that you put o- over your regular shirt if you were like quickly picking teams. Or like the, the, the red versus the white or whatever team. Right, yeah. It was a very loose-fitting shirt that just kind of like covered your chest and had no sides. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a penny. Oh, okay. Right? And if you think about um, a little girl's dress, the little part that goes in front, the pinafore... It's that's what it's named after. So it's like anything that you put on top of your regular clothes <laughs> is a penny. The more you know. There you go. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is our episode. This and week. the day was saved thanks to the thanks to the acting talents of the Grace Brothers Gentlemen Ladies Department. There you go. Well, they they've done very well. They have done very well indeed. <laughs> um, you know, this I think this this is a standout episode for a number of reasons, right? As we're watching along in the chronology, I think that this is a standout in season five because it has a plot that carries from beginning to end all 30 minutes of the episode. There's conflict that gets resolved, not only among the members of the staff, but there's conflict that they all have to band together to defeat this takeover. Yeah. Right, so there's like something for us to like hold our attention while we're laughing at uh, Mr. Humphreys being a hysterical homosexual. I'll be Yorkshire's, you know, and do <laughs> yeah, all those kind of like saying that. You know, I'm thinking back to a change is as good as the rest, um, which is funny because now that I know that phrase, um, I'm watching another British TV show and they mention the phrase. So apparently, that's like that is used in the in the parlance of the United Kingdom. But, is it? <laughs> in it though but um 
Yeah, like the the whole a change as good as the rest, where they make out into they make their department into like kind of an American thing. Like, there's really no point to it. It's like Mr. Grace has this idea, so we'll do it. Okay, and I'm not one of those like I hate those recap episodes where they kind of critique everything to hell and they have suggestions which would have been better. But you know, like we kind of said that last episode. There wasn't a lot of plot, yet it was one of our favorites because there's so much gold right. to it. But, you know, if they had done something like, oh, no, we might be uh, – we were just bought by an American company, so we have to Americanize. Otherwise, they that won't – That would have been a little bit far-fetched. You know, we won't get our jobs back or something. Yeah, right. exactly. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's even, all gold. Even, even though you have to suspend belief in order to get into the Grace Brothers universe <laughs> because – in what scenario would none of these people pick up on the double entendres about Mrs. Slocum's pussy and everything that Captain Peacock says in in, in, um, uh, in response to that? But for me, I think yeah. the ridiculous the ridiculousness and the stupidity of a lot of stuff is what makes it so funny. Like that's why I love Family Guy because some of those situations are just so freaking stupid, which is funny to me. So. Comedy of the absurd. People. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, with that no, said, next week we are going to be watching um, "Goodbye, Mr. Granger," which is the one where everyone wants him to get fired, but then he quits because he thinks he's won the pools. Oh yeah. And this actually um, ends up being our second to last episode of Mr. Granger, because he uh, unfortunately he goes to the boardroom in the great boardroom board in, board in the sky yeah. yeah it's interesting so we'll talk about it next episode but um you know growing up i knew that something was about liverpool and the pools and it's a lottery and um i did some research and the building where they did it was like being torn down and they were like oh no up in arms are like oh my god my grandmother used to send the money every day and blah 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 so Anyway, it's a kind of a cool episode, and I remember it's it's somewhat it's surprisingly touching. I think it is. It is. Yeah, with the whole like single spotlight shining on Mister Granger that slowly turns dark, or is that another episode? I think. Well, there's only two left, so. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, hey, so. this was a good episode. So we're 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 not almost. Nearly halfway there. We're about halfway through. Yeah. Almost. And we've, so we didn't, we should have patted ourselves on the back. We just passed, so this is our 31st episode. We've done 30 episodes. 31 now. That's crazy. So, so Mr. Brandon, if someone wants to get in touch with us to uh, let us know about their final fond memories of Mr. Granger, how can they do so? Well, I'm glad you asked, Mr. Jeff. Um, <clears throat> you can get in touch with us on Facebook. Um, it's uh, Facebook. You go to That Does Suit Madam. There you go. Uh, Twitter, we are Does Suit Madam. And we have that old-fashioned email thing, uh, which is uh, That Does Suit Madam, with an E, at gmail.com. And we also have The Peacock Hotline. Which is six six two seven three two two six two five, and uh, that is local to Northern Mississippi. But you know, everyone has, <laughs> and everyone has uh, what long distance. And if, by the way, if you are from abroad, 
and you can't call the uh, northern Mississippi-based Peacock Hotline, um, do us a voicemail on your phone and then email it to us. We'd love to hear some pseudo voicemails from around the world. Thank you for bringing that up, Mr. Brandon. Yeah, we live in the 21st century. So with that said, I think we should wish our listeners Uvalda. 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 Thank you, Unanimous. Talk to you next week. Bye. That does seem madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent. 